Chapter Eight of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eight, James and J. C. James and J. C. Devere were cousins, and also cousins of Mrs. Kelsey's husband, and hence the intimacy between that lady and themselves, or rather between that lady and J. C., who was undeniably the favorite, partly because he was much like herself, and partly because of his name, which she thought so exclusive so different from any one else's his romantic young mother who liked anything savouring at all of waverley had inflicted upon him the cognomen of jedediah clishbotham and repenting of her act when too late had dubbed him j c by which name he was now generally known the ladies called him a love of a man and so he was if a faultless form a wicked black eye a superb set of teeth an unexceptionable moustache a tiny foot the finest of broadcloth reported wealth and perfect good-humour constitute the ingredients which make up a love of a man added to this he really did possess a good share of common sense and with the right kind of influence would have made a far different man from what he was self-love was the bane of his life and as he liked dearly to be flattered so he in turn became a most consummate flatterer always however adapting his remarks to the nature of the person with whom he was conversing thus to nelly kennedy he said a thousand foolish things just because he knew he gratified her vanity by doing so although possessing the reputation of a wealthy man j c was far from being one and his great object was to secure a wife who while not distasteful to him still had money enough to cover many faults and such a one he fancied nelly kennedy to be from mrs kelsey he had received the impression that the doctor was very rich and as nelly was the only daughter her fortune would necessarily be large to be sure he would rather she had been a little more sensible but as she was not he resolved to make the best of it and although claiming to be something of an invalid in quest of health it was really with the view of asking her to be his wife that he had come to laurel hill he had first objected to his cousin accompanying him not for fear of rivalry but because he disliked what he might say of nelly for if there was a person in the world whose opinion he respected and whose judgment he honoured it was his cousin james wholly unlike j c was james and yet he was quite as popular for one word from him was more highly prized by scheming mothers and artful young girls than the most complimentary speech that j c ever made he meant what he said and to the kindest noblest of hearts he added a fine commanding person a finished education and a quiet gentlemanly manner to say nothing of his unbounded wealth and musical voice whose low deep tones had stirred the heartstrings of more than one fair maiden in her teens but stirred them in vain for james devere had never seen the woman he wished to call his wife and now at the age of twenty-six he was looked upon as a confirmed old bachelor whom almost any one would marry but whom no one ever could he had come to laurel hill because mrs kelsey had asked him to do so and because he thought it would be pleasant to spend a few weeks in that part of the country of maud's existence he knew nothing and when at last supper was announced and he followed his cousin to the dining-room he started in surprise as his eye fell on the dark-eyed girl who with a heightened bloom upon her cheek presided at the table with so much grace and dignity whether intentionally or not we cannot say but nelly failed to introduce her stepsister and as mrs kelsey was too much absorbed in looking at her pretty niece and in talking to her brother to notice the omission maud's position would have been peculiarly embarrassing but for the gentlemanly demeanour of james who always courteous particularly to those whom he thought neglected bowed politely and made to her several remarks concerning the fineness of the day and the delightful view which laurel hill commanded of the surrounding country 
she was no menial he knew and looking in her bright black eyes he saw that she had far more mind than the dollish nelly who as usual was provoking j c to say all manner of foolish things as they were returning to the parlour j c said to nelly by the way nell who is that young girl in white and what is she doing here why that's maud remington my stepsister answered nelly i'm sure you've heard me speak of her j c was sure he hadn't but he did not contradict the little lady whose manner plainly indicated that any attention paid by him to the said maud would be resented as an insult to herself just then mrs kelsey went upstairs taking her niece with her and as dr kennedy had a patient to visit he too asked to be excused and the two young men were left alone the day was warm and sauntering out beneath the trees they sat down upon a rustic seat which commanded a view of the dining-room the doors and windows of which were open disclosing to view all that was transpiring within in the name of wonder what's that exclaimed j c as he saw a curiously shaped chair wheeling itself as it were into the room it must be dr kennedy's crippled boy answered james as louis skipped across the floor on crutches and climbed into the chair which maud carefully held for him louis did not wish to eat with the strangers until somewhat acquainted consequently he waited until they were gone and then came to the table where maud stood by his side carefully ministering to his wants and assisting him into his chair when he was through then pushing back her curls and donning the check apron which nelly so much abhorred she removed the dishes herself for old hannah she knew was very tired having done an unusual amount of work that day i tell you what jim i wouldn't wonder if that's the very one for you said j c puffing leisurely at his cigar and still keeping his eyes fixed upon the figure in white as if to one of his fastidious tastes there was nothing very revolting in seeing maud remington wash the supper dishes even though her hands were brown and her arms a little red james did not answer immediately and when he did he said do you remember a little girl we met in the cars between springfield and albany several years ago when we were returning from school she was a funny little black-eyed creature and amused us very much with her remarks i wouldn't wonder if i remembered her returned j c for didn't she say i looked as if i didn't mean for certain i tell you what it is jim i've thought of the speech more than a thousand times when i've been saying things i did not mean to foolish girls and their mammas. but what reminded you of her if i mistake not that child and the young lady yonder are one and the same you know she told us her name was maud remington and that the naughty man behind us wasn't her father and she didn't like him a bit or something like that and i honour her judgment both in his case and mine interrupted j c continuing after a moment the old fellow looks as that man did i guess you are right i mean to question cuffy on the subject and he beckoned to john who was passing at no great distance sambo said he as the negro approached who is that young lady using the broom-handle so vigorously and he pointed to maud who was finishing her domestic duties by brushing the crumbs from the carpet if you please sir my name is john answered the african assuming a dignity of manner which even j c respected be it john then returned the young man but tell us how long has she lived here and where did she come from nothing pleased john better than a chance to talk of maud and he replied she came here twelve years ago this very month with that little blue-eyed mother of hern who is lying under them willers in the graveyard we couldn't live without miss maud she's all the sunshine there is about the lonesome old place why she does everything 
from taking care of her crippled half-brother to mendin' t'other's one's gown and who is t'other one asked j c beginning to feel greatly interested in the negro's remarks t'other one said john is miss nelly who won't work for fear of silin her hands which some fool of a city chap has made her believe are so white and handsome and a row of ivory was just visible as leaning against a tree john watched the effect of his words upon the fool of a city chap j c was exceedingly good-natured and tossing his cigar into the grass he replied you don't mean me of course but tell us more of this maud who mops the floor and mends nelly's dresses she don't mop the floor muttered john this nigger wouldn't let her do that but she does mend nelly's gowns which i wouldn't do if i's worth as much money as she is if j c had been interested before he was doubly interested now and coming nearer to john he said money my good fellow is maud an heiress she ain't nothing else returned john who proceeded to speak of janet and her generous gift the amount of which he greatly exaggerated nobody knows how much tis said he but everybody supposes that will and all it must be thirty or forty thousand and as the doctor was just then seen riding into the yard john walked away to attend to his master's horse those butter and cheese men do accumulate money fast said j c more to himself than to his companion who laughingly replied it would be funny if you should make this maud my cousin instead of nelly let me see cousin nelly cousin maud i like the sound of the latter best though i am inclined to think she is altogether too good for a mercenary dog like you pshaw returned j c pulling at the maple leaves which grew above his head i hope you don't think i'd marry a rude country girl for her money no give me la charmante nelly even though she cannot mend her dress and you are welcome to cousin maud the milkman's heiress at that moment mrs kelsey and nelly appeared upon the stoop and as maud was no longer visible the young gentleman returned to the parlour where j c asked nelly to favour him with some music nelly liked to play for it showed her white hands to advantage and seating herself at the piano she said i have learned a new song since i saw you but maud must sing the other part maybe though i can get along without her this last was said because she did not care to have maud in the parlour and she had inadvertently spoken of her singing the young men however were not as willing to excuse her and maud was accordingly sent for she came readily and performed her part without the least embarrassment although she more than once half paused to listen to the rich full tones of james's voice for he was an unusually fine singer maud had never heard anything like it before and when the song was ended the bright sparkling eyes which she turned upon him told of her delight quite as eloquently as words could have done you play i'm sure miss remington he said as nelly arose from the stool maud glanced at her red hands which j c would be sure to notice then feeling ashamed to hesitate for a reason like this she answered yes sometimes and taking her seat she played several pieces keeping admirable time and giving to the music a grace and finish which nelly had often tried in vain to imitate mr de vere did not expect you to play all night called out the envious girl who not satisfied with having enticed j c from the piano wished james to join her also she is merely playing at my request said mr de vere but if it is distasteful to miss kennedy we will of course desist and bending low he said a few words of commendation to maud who
whose heart thrilled to the gentle tones of his voice just as many another maiden's had done before mr de vere was exceedingly agreeable and so maud found him to be for feeling intuitively that she was somewhat slighted by the overbearing nelly he devoted himself to her entirely talking first of books then of music and lastly of his home which without any apparent boasting he described as a most beautiful spot for a long time that night did louis wait for his sister in his little bed and when at last she came to give her accustomed kiss he pushed the thick curls from off her face and said i never saw you look so happy maud do you like that mr de vere which one asked maud there are two you know yes i know returned louis but i mean the one with the voice forgive me maud but i sat ever so long at the head of the stairs listening as he talked he is a good man i am sure will you tell me how he looks maud could not well describe him she only knew that he was taller than j c and as she thought much finer looking with deep blue eyes dark brown hair and a mouth just fitted to his voice farther than this she could not tell but you will see him in the morning she said i have told him how gifted how good you are and to-morrow he says he shall visit you in your den don't let the other one come said louis hastily for if he can't endure red hands he'd laugh at my withered feet and the bunch on my back but the other one won't i know maud knew so too and somewhat impatiently she waited for the morrow when she could introduce her brother to her friend the morrow came but as was frequently the case louis was suffering from a severe pain in his back which kept him confined to his room so that mr de vere neither saw him at all nor maud as much as he wished to do he had been greatly interested in her and when at dinner he heard that she would not be down he was conscious of a feeling of disappointment she was not present at supper either but after it was over she joined him in the parlour and together with j c and nelly accompanied him to the graveyard where seating herself upon her mother's grave she told him of that mother and the desolation which crept into her heart when first she knew she was an orphan from talking of her mother it was an easy matter to speak of her vernon home which she had never seen since she left it twelve years before and then mr de vere asked if she had met two boys in the cars on her way to albany at first maud could not recall them and when at last she did so her recollections were so vague that mr de vere felt another pang of disappointment though wherefore he could not tell unless indeed he thought there would be something pleasant in being remembered twelve long years by a girl like maud remington he reminded her of her remark made to his cousin and in speaking of him casually alluded to his evident liking for nelly saying playfully who knows miss remington but you may some time be related to me not my cousin exactly though cousin maud sounds well i like that name i like it too she said impulsively much better than miss remington which seems so stiff then let me call you so i have no girl cousin in the world and leaning forward he put back from her forehead one of her short glossy curls which had been displaced by the evening breeze this was a good deal for him to do never before had he touched a maiden's tresses and he had no idea that it would make his fingers tingle as it did still on the whole he liked it and half wished the wind would blow those curls over the upturned face again but it did not and he was about to make some casual remark when j c who was not far distant called out making love i do believe the speech was sudden and grated harshly on james's ear not because the idea of making love to maud was utterly distasteful but because he fancied she might be annoyed and over his features there came a shadow which maud did not fail to observe he does not wish to be teased about me she thought 
and around the warm spot which the name of cousin maud had made within her heart there crept a nameless chill a fear that she had been degraded in his eyes i must go back to louis she said at last and rising from her mother's grave she returned to the house accompanied by mr de vere who walked by her side in silence wondering if she really cared for j c s untimely joke james de vere did not understand the female heart and wishing to relieve maud from all embarrassment in her future intercourse with himself he said to her as they reached the door my cousin maud must not mind what j c said for she knows it is not so certainly not was maud's answer as she ran upstairs hardly knowing whether she wished it were or were not so one thing however she knew she liked to have him call her cousin maud and when louis asked what mr de vere had said beneath the willows she told him of her new name and asked if he did not like it yes he answered but i'd rather you were his sister for then maybe he'd call me brother even if i am a cripple how i wish i could see him and perhaps i shall to-morrow but on the morrow louis was so much worse that in attending to him maud found little time to spend with mr de vere who was to leave them that evening when however the carriage which was to take him away stood at the gate she went down to bid him good-bye and ask him to visit them again i shall be happy to do so he said and then as they were standing alone together he continued though i have not seen as much of you as i wished i shall remember my visit at laurel hill with pleasure in hampton there are not many ladies for whose acquaintance i particularly care and i have often wished that i had some female friend with whom i could correspond and thus while away some of my leisure moments will my cousin maud answer me if i should some time chance to write to her mere friendly cousinly letters of course this last he said because he mistook the deep flush on maud's cheek for an unwillingness to do anything which looked at all like making love i will write was all maud had a chance to say ere nelly joined them accompanied by j c who had not yet terminated his visit at laurel hill and as soon as his cousin left he intended removing to the hotel where he would be independent of dr kennedy and at the same time devote himself to the daughter or stepdaughter just as he should feel inclined some such idea might have intruded itself upon the mind of james for when at parting he took his cousin's hand he said you have my good wishes for your success with nelly but but not with t'other one eh laughingly rejoined j c adding that james need have no fears for there was not the slightest possibility of his addressing the milkman's heiress alas for j c s honesty even while he spoke there was treachery in his saucy eyes for the milkman's heiress as he called her was not to him an object of dislike and when after the carriage drove away he saw the shadows on her face and suspected their cause he felt a strong desire that his departure might affect her in a similar manner that evening too when nelly sang to him his favourite song he kept one ear turned toward the chamber above where in a low sweet voice maud remington sang her suffering brother to sleep the next morning he removed to the hotel saying he should probably remain there during the summer as the air of laurel hill was highly conducive to his rather delicate health but whether he meant the invigorating breeze which blew from the surrounding hills or an air of a more substantial kind time and our story will show End of chapter 8